Beloved brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, it's hard for us to imagine what life would have been like for Daniel. Apart from everything else, his life was, to say the least, a unique one. He had been exiled from his home country as a young man. He had shortly thereafter found himself in the inner circle of some of the most powerful men in the world. The circumstances of his life alone were very much out of the ordinary. But Daniel also had an extraordinary relationship with the Lord. As a prophet, he was not only invited into the circle of earthly kings, earthly rulers, he was also invited, we could say, into God's very own inner circle, the inner circle of the King of Kings. He revealed and interpreted the visions of others, and he also himself received visions from God. God really shared his own plans with Daniel. He miraculously protected him, and he gave Daniel a very special measure of wisdom and understanding. Now, for us as average believers, like 99.99% of God's people throughout history, our lives really seem very mundane in comparison. But Daniel's prayer in chapter 9, this, this interlude between the incredible revelations that precede it and then that follow it, this prayer teaches us something very important about how we, as average Christians, ordinary believers, should also respond to God's revelation. Because while God has not spoken to us in visions like he spoke to Daniel, while he's not literally delivered us from the mouths of lions or from a literal fiery furnace, we have received and we will continue to receive God's sure and certain revelation. So God reveals himself and his purposes to us in his word, just as he did to Daniel. So how, in the light of this, should we respond? And we'll consider that question as we consider Daniel's prayer in Daniel chapter 9. And here we see how Daniel recalls the promises that God had made to the prophet Jeremiah and how he responds in fervent prayer. And so we'll consider, first of all, the motivation for Daniel's prayer. In the second place, the plea for mercy in Daniel's prayer. And then finally, we will see and hear about the basis of Daniel's prayer. So first of all, what was it that motivated Daniel to pray? We're told that it was the first year of Darius. It was a year after the collapse of the Babylonian Empire. Daniel had been reading the writings of the prophet Jeremiah. And these writings had obviously been copied and distributed among the exiles in Babylon. We read from this prophecy, one of the prophecies of Jeremiah, in Jeremiah chapter 25, where we read how the Lord had pronounced his judgment upon Israel because of her unfaithfulness. And so he would use Nebuchadnezzar, his prophet, or as his servant, he says, to, to inflict his punishment on his rebellious people, as well as on the surrounding nations. And the land would become a ruin, and it would become a waste. It would be desolate. It would be silent. 
And the nations would serve King Nebuchadnezzar for 70 years. But once those 70 years were to be completed, Babylon itself, which had worked as God's servant, Babylon would be defeated. It would face the Lord's wrath because of its own iniquity. Because while the Lord was going to use Nebuchadnezzar and he was going to use Babylon, that great empire, as his executioner, that didn't mean in the slightest that he approved of what Babylon was doing. And so Babylon itself would become an everlasting waste. And Israel, God's chosen nation, would be restored. And Daniel, now an elderly man, he understood from what he read that the time was nearly up. Now, The time for restoration was approaching. The time for punishment was over and the Lord would again show mercy toward his people. So what does Daniel do? His response is fascinating and it's very instructive for us because he doesn't rejoice. He doesn't celebrate. He doesn't just accept the prophecy as being true beyond any doubt and then just wait passively for its fulfillment. No, what Daniel does is he turns to the Lord in prayer. And the type of prayer is also instructive. It's not a prayer of thanksgiving. It's a prayer of confession. It's a plea for forgiveness. It's a prayer that's offered with fasting in sackcloth and ashes. Knowing that the Lord fulfills his promises. Knowing that the Lord spoke a sure and certain word of prophecy through his servant Jeremiah, Daniel now calls upon the Lord to fulfill that promise. It's the knowledge that Jeremiah's prophecy is is near to being fulfilled that motivates Daniel to place himself in a posture of abject humility before the Lord. He afflicts himself. He humbles himself. He takes the posture of a mourner and a beggar before the Lord. We've already seen that Daniel was a man who was dedicated to prayer. And for him, even a a government decree with the death penalty attached to it could not keep him from his regular daily prayer routine. But obviously for Daniel, prayer was something much more than just a routine. This was something that he took very seriously And very seriously indeed. Daniel was not a fatalist. He knew from his own first-hand experience, he knew because of direct personal revelation, that God was in firm control of all of the events of history. In his visions, the Lord had opened up a window for Daniel, a window into the distant future. And he had revealed his absolute sovereignty, and he he had revealed it very clearly and beyond the shadow of a doubt. But this didn't lead Daniel to simply sit back and and just, just wait for what was going to happen, passively assuming that it would all work out in the end. It led him to pray. And it led him to pray fervently with all his heart. Brothers and sisters, Daniel's example here is very important for us. 
And we can think of our current situation, and we can apply what we learn here to our own circumstances. And, and in fact, not only can we do that, we must do that. Now, as good Calvinists, as good Reformed believers, as confessional Christians, we know, we confess that God is in control. He's sovereign. We know and we confess that God works out all things for the good of those who love Him and who are called according to His purpose. We know that God is absolutely sovereign. So what happens? Knowing God's sovereignty. In our current situation, it appears that many Christians are content to sit back and wait for God to act. And you hear things like, don't worry, God's in control, don't speak out, don't fight against these decrees that are taking away our God-given rights and privileges and responsibilities, the ability to obey God's decrees, especially His decree to gather together, because God's in control, He'll work it out, no worries, this is God's will. And what happens often is that any expression of dissatisfaction, any kind of pushback, often leads Christians to calling out other Christians in social networks and other places. As if the expressions of frustration of a Christian at what's happening is a less than holy response. Now, brothers and sisters, this sounds very orthodox, it sounds very pious, but, but really, what if it's just a kind of fatalism in disguise? What if our confessions about the sovereignty of God, the fact that God's in control, that He's guiding all things, is little more than an expression of a fatalistic idea that whatever will be, will be? Daniel's prayer and his motivation for praying and how he prays shows us that a kind of quietistic fatalism, a simple acceptance of what's happening, should be completely out of the picture for us. Now let's put it in terms of the revelation that Daniel had received. God hasn't revealed to us how long the current situation is going to last. He hasn't said through the voice of a prophet, in seven weeks, or in seven years, or in 70 years, things are going to get back to normal. He hasn't revealed that. But even if he were to have done that, our responsibility would remain the same. And that responsibility would be, first of all, to pray fervently, to pray wholeheartedly, to pray passionately as Daniel did. Because it is through our prayers that God acts and works. Now, we can't understand this fully, this, this relationship between God's sovereignty and our responsibility. And the thing is, we don't have to. We know what we have to do, regardless of the situation and regardless of whether we understand this relationship between divine sovereignty and human responsibility or not. We know what we have to do. We have to pray. We have to pray frequently. We have to pray fervently. And we have to pray confidently. And that's what Daniel does. And that should also be our starting point. It's not something that we do in addition to everything else. It's not something that we do as an afterthought or as something that we do when all else fails. If all else fails, then pray. We begin here. We begin with prayer. Why? 
Well, we do that because God is sovereign. We do that because God is in control. We do that because we know his revealed will, even though his secret will is hidden from us even more than it was from Daniel. God has proven that he is in absolute control. And that means also that our prayers mean something because he has the power to answer them and he's also willing to answer them. And so if Daniel, who had received special insight into the counsel of God, the secret things of God, if he was led to pray so fervently, even though he knew what lay in the future, how much more should we be led to do the same? Daniel's prayer also reminds us of another prayer which should encourage us to pray even more. And that was the prayer of our Lord Jesus Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane. And that's just one of many times when our Lord Jesus went off by himself to pray. And the Lord Jesus knew perfectly well the will of God. But he still prayed. And if Daniel's prayer was a fervent one, the prayer of our Lord Jesus Christ was all the more fervent. So may that motivate us as God's people to get down on our knees and plead for God's mercy upon us. And that leads us to consider the second point, Daniel's plea for mercy. He prays on behalf of his fellow Jews and and their leaders, not just as an individual, not just praying for himself, but as a representative of God's covenant people, which he was. Daniel's prayer shows us very clearly what should be our posture in prayer as well. He's praying to the Lord, the great and awesome God, the God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. He declares the Lord's righteousness. He declares the Lord's mercy, his forgiveness. Not only is God righteous and merciful and forgiving, these things define who he is. They belong to him. But in contrast with the Lord's righteousness and the Lord's mercy, we hear this litany of failures that define his people. Daniel says, we have sinned. We have done wrong. We have acted wickedly. We have rebelled. We have turned aside from your commandments and rules. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets. We have rebelled against the Lord. We have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by walking in his laws. All Israel has transgressed the law, has turned aside, has refused to obey his voice. They did not entreat his favor. They did not turn from their iniquities. They did not gain insight by his truth. In short, Daniel says, we're failures. We have sinned and we have done what is wicked. Now this prayer, as it is written, is not a long one. But Daniel spares no words to describe how terribly his people and their leaders had responded to God's love and his faithfulness and his mercy. It was because of their failure and their rebellion that calamity had befallen them. And that was in fulfillment of the covenant curses that the Lord had revealed through his servant Moses. The only thing that God's people could do, the only thing that we can do, is to plead for mercy 
on the part of the judge. Because like Daniel, we have no excuses to offer. There are no mitigating circumstances. There is only the plea for mercy, the plea that the Lord make his face to shine upon us once again. And to make his face shine more particularly upon his sanctuary, which is desolate. The pleas that are presented, as Daniel says, not because of our righteousness, but because of God's great mercy. And so what Daniel does is to cry out to the Lord. He says, O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations. And so what Daniel does is base his prayer on the Lord's own words, on the Lord's own revelation, his own promises. He reminds the Lord of his promises, the promises that he had made, and he calls upon him to fulfill them. And so on the one hand, we see that Daniel's, Daniel's prayer is an almost overwhelming declaration of humility, of the petitioner's unworthiness to receive anything from the Lord. But on the other hand, it's a very bold prayer. It's a direct prayer. It's a straightforward prayer. Daniel knows God's faithfulness and he knows it intimately and he knows it personally. And he knows that God wants him to remember his attributes and to speak to him personally and even forcefully on the basis of these attributes. It's because God is who he is, who he has declared himself to be. It's because of that that we can come to him like this. We call upon the Lord to remember, like the psalmists do so many times. Psalm 25, verse 6, just one example. Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been from of old. That's what God wants us to do. To first of all, know his promises. And then to base our prayers on the promises that he makes to us. Not just passively sitting back and then waiting for him to do something. But humbly and boldly seeking his face, reminding him, as it were, of the promises that he has made to us. And When we do that, it is a living, vivid expression of our faith, of our confidence in him. We trust that he will take care of us. Why? Because he's promised to take care of us. We trust that he will be faithful. Because he has promised to be faithful. And he has proven his faithfulness. Most surely and most certainly. In the person of his son Jesus Christ. And so when we pray we can remind him. And we must remind him of his promises. And I'll just list three promises here. From Paul's letter to the Philippians. Philippians 1 verse 6. And I am sure of this that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And then Philippians 4, verse 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And then Philippians 4, verse 19. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. 
And that leads us to our final point, which is the basis of Daniel's prayer and also the basis of our prayer. The basis of Daniel's prayer, as we've already seen, isn't in the one doing the praying. And certainly it's not in the people on whose behalf he's praying. It couldn't be. Because they deserve the exact opposite of what they're asking for. And so the basis of of Daniel's prayer is God himself. Daniel says this, he says, For your own sake, make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. Because it was the Lord's house that was desolate. Daniel wasn't praying for the restoration of the temple And he wasn't praying for the restoration of the worship in the temple because of some feeling of nostalgia or because he missed the temple services or because he was losing something himself in the destruction of the sanctuary. No. The temple and its worship were important for Daniel because this is where the Lord received what was his due, the worship of his people. When Daniel says, do not delay, he doesn't say, do not delay for our sake. Do not delay because we're suffering. Do not delay because you feel sorry for us. But he says, do not delay for your own sake. Because your city and your people are called by your name. It was the Lord's city that was lying in ruins. It was the Lord's temple that had been destroyed. It was the Lord's reputation that was being impacted. His name that was being trod underfoot because of the devastation of Israel. Because the city and the people were called by his name. So Daniel here is praying in the same way that Moses prayed in the wilderness when the Lord declared that he would destroy his people and that he would start again, make a new beginning with Moses. Moses had interceded on behalf of the people. And just as Daniel did, he did so by appealing to the Lord's own reputation. He says, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people, whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say, with evil intent did he bring them out to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven. And all this land that I have promised I will give to your offspring and they shall inherit it forever." That was the prayer of Moses. And we also hear that the Lord heard Moses' prayer. Exodus chapter 32, And the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. Now we generally close our prayers by saying something like, For Jesus' sake or in Jesus' name. All this we ask in the name of Jesus Christ. And when we do that, We are expressing the basis of our prayer in much the same way as Moses did and as Daniel did. For all the promises of God find their yes and their amen in him. And that is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory.
We read in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. Our amen means it is true and certain. And our amen can be confidently declared at the end of our prayers because of Jesus Christ. He is the ultimate proof of the faithfulness of God. And in Him, the faithfulness of God finds its fullest expression. Because of Jesus Christ, our great high priest who has passed through the heavens, we can with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That's from Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. Brothers and sisters, we are unworthy. Completely, absolutely unworthy. But He is worthy. We don't deserve anything from God, but in Christ we receive everything. Apart from Christ, we have no basis for our confidence. But through faith in Christ, we can have a perfect confidence in the God who is in perfect control over all things. And so we can bring our petitions to Him. And we must do so. Because one part of His grace towards us is that He uses our petitions. He uses our prayers to bring about what He has planned. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working, James said in James chapter 5. For the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer, Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 3. Now Daniel understood these things. And the Lord's response to his prayer, as we'll see in the second part of this chapter, provides even more confirmation of God's absolute sovereignty and his perfect trustworthiness and his perfect faithfulness. Brothers and sisters, this interlude of Daniel 9, right in the middle of the visions that declare God's absolute control over every single event of history, this interlude reminds us of our responsibility as God's people, and it's a solemn responsibility, and also the privilege that God has given to us, and it's a great privilege to be active participants in the outworking of His plan. When we think about how we should imitate Daniel, how we should dare to be Daniels, we may think of, first and foremost, his willingness to face death because of his unwillingness to compromise in the face of persecution. But we should also consider how we live each day, praying fervently to God to fulfill his promises. Not for our sake, but for His. Amen.